The following sermon audio has been brought to you by Christ Church Downtown. For more information, go to Christkirk.com. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And also from Exodus 15:2. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Lift up your hearts. Let's pray. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. And in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? You, in your mercy, have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided us in your strength to your holy habitation. So, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be pleased to, wor- to receive our worship now. One God, world without end, and amen. amen. The exhortation this morning comes from Proverbs chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. And normally what I do is I'll, I will ask you a question, say some things, and then give you uh, the exhortation. But this morning, uh, the exhortation just is the passage. So I'm going to kind of go in reverse. I'm going to read you the exhortation and then talk briefly about it. So here the exhortation from Proverbs 4 verses 1 to 9. Hear, my children, the instruction of a father, and give attention to no understanding, for I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. When I was my father's son, tender, and the only one in the sight of my mother, he also taught me and said to me, let your heart retain my words. Keep my commands and live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will preserve you. Love her and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory she will deliver to you. In the book of Proverbs, we meet two women. There is Lady Wisdom, who we are called uh, in this passage to seek out, embrace, and love. And then there is this other character, sinister Lady Folly. We must swerve from her and avoid her. And we will learn uh, more about each of these characters in future weeks. Uh, But since Pastor Ty is preaching through Ruth right now, I want to just draw out a connection that exists between uh, this book of Proverbs that we're exhorting from and the book of Ruth that Ty is preaching through. In your English Bible, Ruth comes after what book? Judges. So it goes Joshua, Judges, Ruth, depending on the song you learned. I I need to not sing. (laughs) Uh, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. However... In the Masoretic text, which is the Hebrew canon that undergirds your uh, English translation, guess which book Ruth comes after? Proverbs. Proverbs. Now think about how Proverbs ends. There's 31 chapters, and it ends with the famous Proverbs 31 woman. She is the uh, ultimate uh, uh, description of Lady Wisdom. And so what the Hebrew ordering of the books does is it actually invites us to read Ruth 
with Proverbs 31 in mind, with this lady wisdom that we have just met in mind. It is as if to say, you've read about lady wisdom, now meet her in a story. Meet the woman who willingly works with her hands, who gleans for grain to feed her family. Meet the woman of faith, whose husband, Boaz, is known in the gates. Meet the great-grandmother of King David. Meet the great-great-grandmother of King Solomon, the writer of Proverbs. Meet Ruth, the great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother of King Jesus, who is wisdom enfleshed. And so in all your getting, get wisdom, get Jesus. From Exodus 20, verse 5. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Father, we confess that we give more time, energy, and attention to chasing the fleeting things of this world rather than pursuing the things of God. We are too busy to read, too busy to pray, too busy to meditate on your word. But you alone, O Lord, have the words of life. Where else can we go? And so incline our hearts back to you now and forgive us for chasing Lady Folly. We confess our individual sins to you now in Selah. We ask all this in the name of Jesus and amen. Please rise for the assurance of pardon. From Isaiah 12, 3. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Saints of Christ Church, because you have confessed your sins, it is my joy to announce to you that your sins are forgiven through Christ. Our sermon text this morning is Ruth, chapter 1. I'll begin reading in verse 15 through the end of the chapter. And Naomi said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth says, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and much also, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they came to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? But she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me, and the, the Almighty has afflicted me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Let's pray. 
Sovereign God, we thank you that you are the Almighty One. Thank you that you have given us this word, this story of these women. Lord, we pray now that you would give us faith to rightly understand this story, to rightly live because of the gospel truth that we see here. We pray all this in Jesus' name, and amen. Uh, so before we get to the text, i uh, just like to, you know, talk about my newborn son a little bit because, you know, because I can and we love him and it's been a great week of having Boaz uh, join in the family. He is uh, very well loved, sometimes a little too zealously loved. Vera, I'm looking at you, uh, but no, we are so thankful to have this wonderful addition to our family and thank you for your uh, support. Uh, to all of us through this. So this morning we are going to continue our study in the book of Ruth and the title of this sermon is The Stranger's Return. And the summary is that two women, Naomi and Ruth, return to Bethlehem from Moab. And this is a summary that we get in the last verse, verse 22. It says, so Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. But there's something a little bit odd in this verse because both women are said to have returned. Right? It makes sense that Naomi is returning to her hometown. Right? But how can you say that Ruth returned when she's never been there? Why is Ruth the Moabitess journey to Bethlehem also a kind of homecoming? Right? This is a riddle, people. And this riddle helps identify the heart of the chapter. The answer is what happens on the road from Moab to Judah. The answer is that Ruth puts her faith in the Lord. That is the answer. Ruth turns to God and she is converted. The stranger is no longer a stranger because now she belongs to God. She returns in a spiritual sense because she has turned in faith to the Lord. All right, and if this riddle was a double-sided coin, the other side would be, so why does Naomi come back to her hometown like a stranger. The women ask, is this Naomi? They don't recognize her. And she even wants to change her name. Why is Naomi a stranger back home? And Ruth, the Moabitess, gives her the answer. Faith in the Lord. But Naomi has turned away from the Lord. She has turned from trusting in her God, and so she becomes a stranger. And I love this chapter because ultimately it highlights God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness, his loving kindness to draw strangers back to himself, whether they are near, whether they are far, whether they are a Jew, or whether they are a Moabite. It highlights the faithfulness of God, which is the heart of the gospel. 
So as we work through this story of God returning strangers, we will be introduced to two major themes of the book, the hesed of God, his loving kindness, and the need for a kinsman redeemer, the need for a leverite marriage. Then we will look at uh, Ruth's faithful vow, and then Naomi's bitter complaint to the Lord. And finally, we will look at God's provision of how he gives a great harvest to Bethlehem, and I trust to our own town. So let's get to it. Before we get into new material, we'll do a quick recap of what we covered, not last week, OS came last week, uh, a couple weeks ago from when we, when we were uh, first cracking open Ruth. So the story of Ruth comes in the Old Testament, and it says that it takes place during the time of the Judges. And the time of the Judges is kind of like the Wild West of the Promised Land. The repeated phrase is that there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This is a time of spiritual chaos, of rebellion, of repeated immorality and sin. And last time, we looked at how a city in Israel had become as nasty and as perverted as a city of Sodom. Right? Do you remember that story? That comes at the end of the book. And what we saw there is that it shows that Israel is totally fallen. And it's under the chastening of the Lord. And God's people absolutely needs God's grace, his forgiveness, his redemption, just as much as the people who are on the outside of the covenant. And then you turn the page from Judges to Ruth, and you realize that this story begins smack dab in the middle of God's chastening. Ruth begins with a famine in the land, and it's, there's a famine even in Bethlehem. Bethlehem means the house of bread. The house of bread has run out of bread. And there's this guy named Elimelech. He's a man from Bethlehem. What does he do? He turns from the promised land. He turns from the people of God. He even turns from his own name, which is my God is king. He turns and he goes to Moab. He leads his family to this country close by called Moab. And this is a very surprising place for Israelites to seek provision during a famine. Because years earlier, when the nation of Israel is coming up out of Egypt, up out of the Exodus, they come to the borders of Moab and they request to buy bread, to buy water from the Moabites. And the king of Moab refuses. He refuses to help him. He refuses to bless him. And you know what? He goes even one step further, and he hires a pagan prophet, Balaam, to come in and to curse the people of Israel. Surprising choice to go to Moab during a famine. But Moab is much more accommodating if Israel wants to become like the Moabites. Right? At the same time, Moabite women go into Israel's camp and entice men to sexual sin and to worshiping their God. It's like, yes, we, uh, if you turn from your God and turn towards us, yes, come, 
Come on in. And so, when Elimelech turns from God and turns to Moabites, they are very accommodating. What do you need, Elimelech? Bread? We got bread. What do you need? You, got, you, need, you need daughters or you need uh, wives for your sons? We got those. How about a future? How about uh, a new people, new gods? Come and welcome, they say. But it costs this man his life and the life of his sons. Right? And here's, here's an early lesson. When you turn from God, it does not get better. Right? When you turn from God, it never gets better. Most often, the worst judgments come upon us when God says to you, your will be done. You want to try life apart from me? Here you go. Right? Here's, a, here's life apart from God, his people, his provision. What happens? All three men die, and they leave their wives as widow in Moab for 10 years. So that's where we ended last time. But then, verse 6, we got the good news. It's coming in. But then Naomi hears that the Lord once again has visited his people by giving them bread. And so Naomi does the faithful thing, and she stands up and returns to Bethlehem. But we're going to see that while she is She's, she's faithful in action. There is still a famine in her heart. And Ruth and Orpah, her two widowed daughter-in-laws, also return with her. And as they travel, Naomi comes to some sort of crossroads. And she, she blurts out and says, go, go, return each of you to your mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Right? She's like, no, we just can't, you can't keep going with me. Right? Go back. Turn back to your people. Pretend that we can just reset. Go back to your mom's house and maybe you can find some new husbands and act like this never happened. And she even sends them with, a blessing. May the Lord deal kindly with you. May the Lord show you his hesed. Right? There's a Hebrew term, hesed. So you need a little more phlegm than what I can give right now. Uh, hesed is it's a, it's a packed word. that It's hard to find one particular English word to, to cover with this. So it is the loving kindness of God. It is his faithfulness. It is his mercy. It is his favor. And Naomi is saying, may God give you his favor. And this has said, finding God's favor is going to be one of the main themes that we'll keep coming back to, right? How will the Lord deal kindly with us? How can we find the Lord's rest? But here's the problem, right? Here's the problem is that Naomi is trying to send them back to Moab, away from the Lord, in order to find his loving kindness. And we ask, Naomi, what is going on here? 
right? But both women, verses 11, uh, say that they, they are going to go back with Naomi. They'll return with her. But again, Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Right? Just think about what your life will be like. What are your options? She says, are there still sons in my womb? That when they, that they may be your husbands. No, turn back my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. I'm not going to be like Sarah to have a miracle baby in my old age. And if I should say that I still have hope, if I should say that if I have a husband tonight and also would bear sons, right, one for each of you, would you wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? All right, and this sounds kind of odd to our modern minds about the option is that Naomi would give birth to extra sons, new boys, in order for uh, these widowed women to marry them. Right? It's kind of odd. But what Naomi is doing is she is pointing to an Old Testament law called the Leverite marriage. Leverite marriage. It's not the Levite marriage, it is the Leverite marriage. And it comes from Latin. Look, we already got a little Hebrew, got a little Latin here, and it means husband's brother, right? Another term that we use for this is the kinsman redeemer. She is pointing to their need for a kinsman redeemer. And this is a law that we, is described in Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10. And this is what it is, is that if a woman is widowed in Israel, then the brother of her husband or the nearest kin should marry that widow. And then that child of this new marriage is considered the heir of the first man of his marriage. So he would be the guy who would then carry on his, the family's name for the dead man. And there's a couple reasons for this. One of it is that this is just a way to provide for the widow, right? To provide protection for the widow. But more than that, uh, this is also a way to carry on the lineage of the man. Right? And this is important, especially for Israelites, because the land is the inheritance of the family. And it must stay in the family, right? So there, is no, there are no real realtors in Israel, right? There are no real realtors in order to buy permanently or sell permanently the land. All you can do is rent it for 40 years, and then once it comes to the end of that time, the land of your family goes back to you. But beyond that, uh, they are also very aware of the genealogies. Right? They, God has promised that he will send the deliverer through the seed of the woman. Right? But what happens if this, this seed just gets crushed? The seed of the woman is crushed. And from Naomi's perspective, this all appears hopeless. She thinks she's too old. She's too barren. It's too late. It's been too long. Her family is too dead. There's no one to raise up this new life to redeem the lost land. And what's more is that she thinks that the Lord has turned 
against her. She concludes, uh, My daughters, it grieves me very much for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. She has no faith that the hand of the Lord somehow, some way, can raise up a redeemer. She says, no way. It's not going to happen. Hmm. Boaz. Right. Here are the options that Naomi raise, lays out to Ruth and Orpah. You got two options, my daughters. You can return to Moab, which has every earthly hope of provision and protection and no Yahweh, no Lord. Or you can come with me, go back to Bethlehem, where there is no earthly hope of provision or protection and Yahweh. Those are your two options. And Naomi urges that they should go back to Moab. She gives them the faithless option. And Orpah agrees. And she turns back to the very reasonable life in Moab. And Naomi says to Ruth, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people, and get this, and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth refuses to go. In fact, she even refuses to let go. It says that she clings to Naomi. And this is the same word that we get in Matthew 2, or Genesis 2, 24, for a husband and a wife who are to leave their parents and cling to each other. It's like Ruth is bonding herself covenantally to Naomi. And Ruth pleads in verses 16 and 17, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. These are powerful words of Ruth. Man, what an incredible woman. Ruth is loyal. She is courageous. She is daring. She is a risk taker. She seems fearless. But above all of this, Ruth, this woman, this Moabitess, is full of faith. She is full of faith. She is taking the Yahweh option, even though she knows that she must forsake her whole life. Right? She is bold to seek out God's favor, his said, And she knows she's not going to get it anywhere back in Moab. Right? No way, Jose. Jose, she probably wouldn't say that. It's like, no way am I going to be able to find the blessings of God away from God. You're crazy, Naomi. Respectfully, she says that. Naomi says, or Ruth says to Naomi, wherever you lodge, there I will lodge. And the irony of this is that Naomi is homeless. (laughs) Right? She has no place to lodge. Your van down by the river will be my van down by the river. (laughs) Maybe. But it's even more than that. I think that that Ruth trusts that God will provide a place. 
Right? She will have a place to lodge because I know that the Lord will provide for you. She says that your people will be my people. But she doesn't know if they'll accept her. Right? She doesn't know if these people will like this strange woman. She doesn't know if she will find a husband. And honestly, her prospects don't look too good. Right? She's already a Moabite, and it's unlawful for Israelite men to marry foreign women. Right? She's already a widow, and kind of top it off, she's coming with a bitter old mother-in-law. <laughs> right? Not so hot on the Christian dating sites. <laughs> in all of this, in all of this, Ruth is counting the cost. You get that? She is counting the cost. She is willing to join Naomi in her suffering for her whole life. She says, where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. And even though Ruth is probably going to outlive Naomi for years, she's not going to leave this place. Right? She's not going to forsake this place even after Naomi has died. She is never going back to Moab and to these false gods. Right? And notice that Naomi is definitely not signing up for the prosperity gospel. Get that? Right? She is not joining Naomi because it's, her life is going to be so easy, so simple, so comfortable. Right? If she wants all of that, all she has to do is turn around and join Orpah and go back to Moab. But Ruth believes that one day in the God's courts as an impoverished widow is better than a thousand years of being a married, prosperous woman away from God. By my, my old pastor growing up, he gave us an acronym for faith. He says that faith is forsaking all, I take him. Faith, forsaking all, I take him. And in verse 17, we see that beneath all of Ruth's love and loyalty to Naomi is a covenant love and loyalty to God, to the Lord. She uses the covenant name of Yahweh when she submits herself to this self-maledictory oath. She says, the Lord, Yahweh, do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. She is willing to take on the curse, the consequences, if she is not faithful to this covenant. So all of this, what Naomi, what Ruth says, demonstrates her faith. Ruth has faith, has turned to the Lord. Ruth is converted. She is radically converted. And man, how would you respond if your daughter-in-law said all of this? Right? Think about if your, if your, your family member is converted. Right? The one you've been praying for, living with for 10 years, they say this. Right? What if a U of I student comes and says, I'm done living in sin, and I want to go with you to God and worship with your people. 
How would you respond? Dance party, right? Celebration, loud noises, a time to rejoice. How does Naomi respond? Check this out, verse 18. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. And after their silent trek, Naomi and Ruth returned to Bethlehem. In verse 19, and their arrival stirs up the whole city, and the women ask, is this Naomi? It's like they can hardly recognize her. And some of this is just 10 years, right? Perhaps her hair has gone a little bit gray. Her health has deteriorated. But she's also missing so much. Where's Elimelech? Where are your sons. Naomi returns as, as a widow without sons or grandchildren, poor, exhausted, humiliated, and bitter. She says, do not call me Naomi, which means my pleasure, sweetness, but call me Mara, bitter, for the Almighty has dealt very Bitterly with me. I went out full. And the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me. And the Almighty has afflicted me. These are hard words. These are hard words. And in one sense, they are, they are true. Right? They are true. Her story is one of bitter affliction and of emptying. And while it is not wrong to recognize bitter affliction, Christian, it is wrong for you to become bitter. And Naomi has become very bitter against God. Naomi believes absolutely in the sovereignty of God. She says that the Almighty has afflicted her. She knows that it was God who took her husband. It was God who took her sons. It was God who took her life, her hope, her future. She hates it. She hates him. But here's the hard thing that Naomi needs to hear and to believe. That God is not only God, but he is good. And that he is working even when you can't see or even when you refuse to see how he is dealing kindly with you. Right? Naomi's response here is very self-centered. Right? This morning I realized I counted up. She says me six times. <laughs> me, 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 me. And she can't see how the Lord is working. What does she need? She needs faith like Ruth. That beyond all earthly hope, God is God and he will provide. He will redeem. He has the power to turn her bitterness into sweetness. To fill her up what was empty. To bring life from the dead. Right, she has to have faith like that. And here's the thing. And even if the Lord doesn't, and even if the Lord does not do all these things that she 
want him to do that you would still love and follow and trust God. Right? That she would have the faith like Shadrach, right? who's about to get thrown into the fiery furnace. And he has faith that the Lord will deliver him and his friends from the fiery furnace. And this is what he says. But even if the Lord doesn't, O king, I will not turn from my God and turn to worship you. Even if the Lord does not take my cancer from me, I'm not going to turn from him. Even if the Lord does not give life to my child, I can't, I can't forsake my God. Even if the Lord gives me a life of singleness, I am not leaving him and his people. This is faith. And often from our vantage point, we don't know what God's doing. Right? When you're in the trial, when you're in the suffering, often you don't have the perspective to see what God is doing. But we do know that he is God. We do know that he is good. And so we can hope and rejoice even in the suffering. Right? Just think about how God used the suffering of Naomi to bring about the salvation of Ruth. Right? What if there wasn't a famine in Bethlehem and they don't leave Judah, and there's no sickness, and there's no death of husbands, right? Ruth would still be in Moab. But God has used the trials of Naomi to draw Ruth to herself, to himself. And what's going to be so sweet, as we're going to see, is that the redeemed Ruth will then be used to bring about the redemption of Naomi. Right, I found this quote from Bodhi Bauckham very encouraging. He said that our best apologetic, our best defense of the faith is our demeanor in suffering. Our best apologetic is our demeanor in suffering. So even in the heart of suffering, what do you do? You still have joy. Right? And Naomi didn't have much joy. She was super bitter. And to that, I say, praise God for character development, <laughs> right? Praise God that he is a God of salvation and sanctification, right? Praise God that he is going to redeem not just the stranger, the Moabite, but an Israelite, someone in the house of God and the people of God like Naomi, Right? How can we do this? Why do we do this? It is because we believe the gospel. Right? Look what God did through Jesus when his hand went out against Jesus. Right? Jesus took on the life of Naomi. Jesus was bitterly afflicted. He was forsaken. His fullness emptied. And because of these things, not despite of them, but because of this, God has brought I said, he has brought his favor. He is able to give you rest, right? So when you are going through that suffering, you can bank that God will be faithful, right? You will never taste anything more bitter than what Jesus has tasted. You will never be more forsaken than Jesus. You will never feel more empty than Jesus did. So in your trial, in the dark night of your soul, put your faith in him and trust that God will bring about 
a barley harvest. All right. Ooh, we're tight on time. Can you guys give me four more minutes to talk about the barley harvest? I know, it's a barley harvest. How exciting could it be? But I think that this is super cool. Okay, this is the conclusion. Four minutes talking about the barley harvest. Stay with me, okay? So they come back right at the beginning of the barley harvest. And the Lord brings these two women at the exact right time for him to be kind to them, right? The barley harvest comes at late spring, early summer, and this happens during one of the festivals, the festival of weeks, right? It's kind of ironic. You got Mrs. Bitter comes in during this celebration. But what's so sweet is that this barley harvest, it says that this is what you're supposed to do during this festival. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field when you reap. You shall not gather all the gleanings for your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. And then Deuteronomy 16 expands on who is to be brought into this celebration. It is for the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, the destitute. These are the people who are to be brought in during this celebration. And that is Ruth and Naomi right there. It's like they hit all the boxes God provides for them. Right. But this festival of weeks was not just about a harvest of food. It was about a harvest of people. Right? Strangers and estranged. So the festival of weeks, stay with me people, we've got two more minutes, it's going to be good. Right? Festival of weeks, when it's translated into Greek, zoom ahead hundreds of years, it turns into... Pentecost, right? Festival of Weeks is celebrated seven weeks after Passover. So Festival of Weeks becomes Pentecost. And what happens on another Pentecost celebration? The Spirit of God is poured out. The gospel of Jesus afflicted, emptied, crucified, and resurrected is preached. And what happens? There is a harvest of souls. 3,000 people hear and believe the gospel. They are baptized. And God brings in a harvest. Right? Here's the exhortation. Brothers and sisters, congregation of Christ Church downtown, I believe that we are at the beginning of another barley harvest. I believe that we are at the beginning of a great harvest of souls. And that means that there are many more Ruths and Naomi's who are here and who are out there. That God will be pleased to return them to his people. That God will grant them rest from a guilty conscience. That there are those who desire for the almighty God to deal kindly with them. That they desire to be freed from a guilty conscience. To find forgiveness. That they desire to have a home among God's people. In a land that is not in famine. All right, here it is. Do we have faith? Do we believe 
that God can turn bitterness into sweetness, that God can fill up again what has been emptied, that God can bring life from the dead. Can God bring a harvest? And we will need bold and courageous faith among Christians like Ruth to go out and gather in that harvest. And may God grant that many strangers return. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this story that highlights your kindness to return both those who are near and far to you through the gospel. Father, I pray that you would give us the boldness of Ruth to cling to you, to cling to your people. Father, for those who are like Naomi, who feel empty, who feel famished, who feel like your hand has gone out against them, Lord, I pray that they would not turn away from you, but in faith cling to you, and that you would show them your kindness. Thank you so much for your son, Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Christ Church is part of the CREC, which stands for the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches. This is our uh, denomination. Uh, but what exactly is a Reformed Church, and what does that have to do with the Lord's Supper? A Reformed Church is a church that holds to one of the historic Reformed Confessions of Faith. And in our case, this includes the 39 Articles, the Belgic Confession, the Heidelberg Confession, the Canons of Dort, and the Westminster Confession of Faith. These confessions help summarize and define what the Bible teaches on various topics, including this meal in front of us. One of the errors in the Roman Catholic Church is that of worshiping the bread and wine as if it were Christ's physical body and blood. Against this error, the Westminster Confession states, that doctrine which maintains a change of the substance of bread and wine into the substance of Christ's body and blood, commonly called transubstantiation, by consecration of a priest or by any other way, is repugnant, not to scripture alone, but even to common sense and reason, overthroweth the nature of the sacrament and hath been and is the cause of manifold superstitions, yea, of gross idolatries. This is what um, our church confesses. So a Reformed church comes to this table and sees here common bread and common wine, but it also sees something else. Here we see Jesus Christ, but not by sight, not by transubstantiation, not by any magical incantation or superstition. A reformed church takes God at his word and sees Jesus here by faith. We eat by faith. We drink by faith. And we do this all so that we might glorify God and enjoy fellowship with him and one another forever. So come and welcome to Jesus Christ. All baptized believers are welcome to communion. If you are not yet um, a Christian, please abstain. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this meal. Give us childlike faith to eat and drink with delight. We ask this in Jesus' name, and amen. Amen. So Ruth got it right, right? It is your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. 
you can't separate God from his people. Just think about it. How did Ruth know all about Yahweh and his head and his kindness? Where did she learn that? From Naomi. Right? We're going to see that Naomi is then going to be able to give her that redemption as well. There's a meme. I saw a meme. Kind of gives a, It's dangerous to give a meme for a charge. Uh, but there's kind of this slovenly guy, sweatpants, sitting on a couch. And he says, yeah, I'm not really... Uh, I'm a member of, of the universal gym. I'm just not so keen about joining a local gym. Right? What's the connection, right? To be part of the universal church, you must be part of a local church. Your God, your people, join in that glorious ministry of faith that God has before us here. And receive now with believing hearts the benediction of God. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And the blessings of God, the Father Almighty, the Son of the Holy Spirit be upon you and remain in your hearts always. And all God's people said, Amen.